Lord, great is your faithfulness. We are so thankful that you are constant, Lord, that in the midst of a world that changes so fast and information is going in all different directions, Lord, in the midst of all of that, we can look to you, the solid rock, our foundation for life, the God who doesn't change. Lord, we pray that you would help us to put our faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. How many times do we sing the words of worship songs, but we don't really think about what they're saying? We just sing them. We like the melody, or they're familiar to us, and we just sing them. We don't really think about what they're saying. The opening lines of this famous hymn capture one of the most important understandings that we have of God. Namely, we believe in a God that's unchanging. Our God is unchanging. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Malachi 3.6 says, I the Lord do not change, so the descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Theologians call this aspect of God the immutability of God. I said to some of the pastors here on staff, I said, I'm going to be preaching on the immutability of God. And they said, you're not going to call it that, are you? Because who knows what immutability means? Well, immutability is really God's unchangeableness. And if that word's not familiar to you, that's because it's made up. Because when we try to describe God, it's really hard for us to come up with words. God's unchangeableness, his immutability, the fact that God doesn't change at all. Today, as we continue on in our series called In the Valley, we're going to see how God's constancy or his unchangeableness is not only vitally important to understand, but it's actually this attribute, it helps us when we're in the valley place. Kind to lead that off, I want to share a story that I heard recently. I was listening to this podcast, and they interviewed this guy. His name is Colin O'Brady. If you haven't heard of Colin O'Brady, he's done some amazing feats. One of the things that he did is in 2018, he became the first person to cross Antarctica unaided and unsupported. In other words, he crossed Antarctica from coast to coast, but he did it without any supply runs or supply depots on the way. He did it by actually strapping um, a harness to his shoulders, and he had a sled behind him, and he cross-country skied, and some of it he walked all the way across Antarctica. It's amazing. He did it through whiteout conditions, through storms, through sub-zero temperatures, and he did it in 54 grueling days. Now, one of the things that I found really incredible about O'Brady's experience and his story is that is how he actually navigated this trip. See, I don't know if you know this or not, but humans actually have a really hard time walking in a straight line without visual reference. Have you heard this before? They've done these experiments where they take a group of people and they say, okay, your job is to walk from point A right here to point B, it's right across this field, large field, but the trick is we're going to put a blindfold on you. 
So they put a blindfold on everyone and they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to walk from this point to that point and you're going to be blindfolded and we're going to track your movements. What do you think people did? They walked all over the place. They thought they were walking in a straight line. If you were to interview all of these people afterwards and said, did it feel like you were walking in a straight line? They would say yes, but they were walking all over the place. They were wandering all over the place. Some people walk in large concentric circles even because they didn't have a visual reference. And that's fine for an experiment, but when you're walking across Antarctica, that would be deadly to walk in big circles. To solve this, Brady, what he did was he actually mounted a compass to his chest and he positioned it so that it would always be visible when he looked down, even in the worst conditions. There were times during whiteouts where literally all he could see was the compass that was mounted there. It was the compass that he could grab a hold of and to look down and to see what it says. He said there was times where, imagine this, you're on white snow and it's cloudy so the sky is white and it's snowing. And so everything just looks, what? White. But he looked down and he could see that compass and it always told him where he should go next or how, the direction that he could, should continue to head. And I want you to think about that for a second. In the middle of Antarctica with dwindling supplies, sub-zero temperatures, in whiteout conditions, how important do you think it was for him to have a fixed direction to refer to? To have something constant something that was telling him which way to head. For Brady, it wasn't just like, this is really important. For Brady, it meant the difference between life and death, probably. And as I was hearing this story, I couldn't help but think about God's immutability. The fact that our God doesn't change. Our God is constant. For believers... God is the compass that is strapped to our chest. He is our fixed direction. When we're going through the storm and it's swirling around us and we're in whiteout conditions and we can't see anything and we need something fixed, we need something immovable, something that we know that we can always count on, something that will never fail us, the only thing we really have is our unchanging God. See, there's a lot of things in our lives that do fail us. Our plans fail us, don't they? How many times have you woken up and you said, this is my plan for today, and it went completely to fill in the blank, right? Our plans fail us. People fail us. Sometimes the people we trust the most fail us. Not because they want to always, but it just happens. People will fail us. I'm getting a little bit older now. And when I work out, the next day I realize my body is going to fail me, right? Sometimes I can't even walk right because of workouts I've done, right? You ever do like squats and then you try to walk down the stairs the next day? Our bodies fail us. The government and politicians fail us, amen? Our material wealth will fail us. Solace in our addictions and mindless entertainment will eventually fail us. Anything and everything in this world, even the things that we think will last, will eventually fade away and fail us. 
But still, for us, there remains an eternal God with eternal purposes and an eternal character who we can trust for all eternity, and he will never fail us because great is thy faithfulness. He is ever constant. He is ever unchanging. In just a minute, we're going to talk about three aspects of our unchanging God and how they help us through the valley. But before we get into that, I think we need to be really clear about what we mean when we say that God is unchanging. There's actually a lot of bit of debate about this amongst theologians and philosophers. People like to debate what it means that God doesn't change. And I'm not gonna get into all the nuances of that. Instead, I just wanna cover the basic idea. And so when we talk about God's unchangeableness, what we're really saying is that God never differs from himself in any degree. Seems like an obvious statement, doesn't it? God never differs from himself in any degree. In other words, God is who he is, And that is uniquely different than any other being that has ever existed, because any other being has changed. To say it another way, all that God is, he has always been. And all that he has been and is, he will ever be. In fact, if you think about it, it's impossible to think about a God who changes in some way, because if you were to imagine a being who could change in some way, that would no longer be God. Here's why. For God to change, he would either have to go from better to worse, or worse to better, or he'd have to kind of change somehow within himself from one thing to another kind of thing. And God can't change for the better since he's already perfectly holy. He has never been less holy than he is now, and he can never be holier than he is and always has been. Neither can God change for the worse, because any deterioration within the holy nature of God would mean that God isn't actually God and he wasn't God. Finally, a self-sufficient, eternal, perfect, holy God cannot change within himself. Otherwise, he wouldn't be totally self-sufficient, eternal, and holy, but he would be something else. He wouldn't be God. And I get it. I know. You're like, my mind is blown, right? You're like, I can't think about that. How am I supposed to think about a being that doesn't change? This is crazy to try to like wrap your head around, and there is a reason why. There's a reason why we can't think about this, because God is in his own category. When you realize this aspect of God, you realize that this is the difference between God and everything else. God does not change. God is in his own category. He can't be compared to anything else we know of. And it's a very good thing that God doesn't change because of what it implies for us. In fact, there's three aspects of God's unchangeableness that help us in life and in the valley. We're going to dive into those, but before we do, let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we come to you, the unchanging God. We recognize you're in your own category. Then, in fact, we can't wrap our head around who you are completely because you are God. But Lord, we we pray that today you would reveal a little bit more of yourself to us, that through your Holy Spirit you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would help us to see you a little more clearly, and Lord, that we would be able to stand on your promises, that we'd be able to believe your word, 
that we'd be able to trust you for salvation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Because God is unchanging, God's promises cannot fail. Throughout all of scripture, in many times, in many ways, it's really clear and emphasized again and again that God's promises cannot fail. When God makes a promise, he always keeps it. An unchanging God cannot make a promise he doesn't keep. So just listen to some of these passages that talk about God's promises in his word. They're up on the screen here. These are all the references to them. I'm not going to read every single one, but I wanted to put them up there because these are good promises for you to write down. Here's one, 1 Kings 8, 56. It says this, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all of his good promises he gave through his servant Moses. One of my favorites Isaiah 48, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The point is this, sometimes when you're going through the valley and you're on the struggle bus of life and you're thinking, you think, you think to yourself, where is God in all of this? Where is my God? Has he abandoned me? And in those times in the valley, we're often tempted to disbelieve, and it's in those very moments where you have to recall that our God does not change. That in fact, we serve a God who keeps his promises to us. It's not a matter of whether he does or not, it's whether or not you believe it or not. God keeps His promises, there are literally hundreds of promises in scripture, but I want to mention 10 to you. And some of you might need to write these down because you don't know whether you're in the valley place right now or not, you don't know when that next valley place is coming. And it's then when we're in the valley place that we need these promises. So listen to this. Number one, God promises to strengthen you. Ephesians 3, 14 through 16. Each one of these is going to have a reference. I'm not going to read all of them, but again, write them down for reference later. Number two, God promises to give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If there's one thing that I know is true from living in this world, it's that Today, some of you are deeply, deeply tired. Did you know that Jesus promises to give you rest? He's saying, come to me. Come to me if you're tired, if you're heavy laden, if you're emotionally burdened. Come to me if the wares of the world are on your shoulders. Come to me and I will give you rest. Rest is found in Jesus. It's a promise for you. Number three, God promises to take care of all of your needs. Philippians 4, 19. Do you believe it? Do you know how many times God has come through for our needs? I'm not saying your wants. A lot of us want a lot of things. I'm saying your needs. God takes care of your needs. Number four, God promises to answer your prayers. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. 
God answers our prayers. Number five, God promises to work everything out for your good. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God promises to be with you. I will not fail you or abandon you. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. When you're in the midst of the valley place of your life, in the darkest part of the valley, this is a promise that you can believe that our God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you believe? That's the question. Do you believe in Jesus' promise that he will never leave you or forsake you? God promises to protect you. Number seven, Number eight, God promises you freedom from sin. But if I confess, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Man, that's a promise that I need every single day. If you are mired in sin right now in your life, if you are struggling with something and it feels like a heavy burden and you think, God couldn't forgive me for this. There's just too much red on my ledger, right? There's just too many things. This is your promise. That if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you. Bring your sin before God and trust in Jesus' accomplished work on the cross and his death and his resurrection and you will be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Bring it to Jesus. It's a promise. God promises that nothing can separate you from him. Romans 8 says this, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from God's love. And number 10, God promises you everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You want the promise of eternal life? It is through Jesus and you can have it. It's a promise to us. When you feel faithless, when you believe, when you believe that God has left you, take refuge in his promises. God's word has stood the test of time. It is pure, it is flawless, it is enduring, it is eternal, it is true. Let it be your shield. Let it be your source of protection. As God's children, we can stand firm in our faith. God's covenant with us, his promises are not going to fail. His word is flawless. It is right. It is true. His promises can be fully trusted no matter what your circumstances may be. Do not give up hope. Face each day confidently with an awareness that the victorious Lord is on your side. Know with all assurance that God never fails, that his good promises to you will come to pass because great is thy faithfulness. God is unchanging and so we can trust that his promises will never fail us. And that brings us to number two, God is unchanging. His word is a firm foundation for truth. 
Well, not only can we rely on the promises of God, but if our God is unchanging, then it also follows that in a world of misinformation and disinformation, God's word is a firm foundation for us to cling to. You know, right now, there's a great attempt by the influencers of this age to really redefine and distort what the word of God says to kind of fit our times. How can we go back and change things so it kind of fits the values of this age? But God's, God throughout his word is clear, we can't do this. Jesus says in Matthew 5.18, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Isaiah 55.10.11 says this, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not yield to it without watering the earth and making it blood or bud and flourish so that it's yield seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so that, or so it is that my word goes out from my mouth and it will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. You know, I don't know about you, but these last couple years, really since probably 2020, um, this, era, this era of like COVID and all this other stuff, it really revealed to me that we kind of live in a big reality distortion field, don't we? That's what I like to call it, the reality distortion field. Like anytime you turn on any sort of media or you just walk out onto the street, there's a reality distortion field. It's saying something is true about the world that's not actually true about the world. And it feels weird. It's like your truth and my truth and this truth and that truth. And truth is no longer that which corresponds to reality, but it's just that what people make up. And all sides of this have had their take on everything. And yet it's been revealed again and again that the truth is actually something different entirely than what people are saying. We still don't know all the facts of all the things that have gone on. We're still trying to figure out all of this. It changes daily. And there is all this misinformation around. And if you're like me, it's left me asking, who am I supposed to trust anymore with all of this stuff? Like, where am I supposed to go? How am I supposed to evaluate and discern all this information I'm bombarded with on a minute-by-minute basis? In fact, I think it's perfectly accurate to say that the world that we live in right now feels downright unsettling. And it got me thinking about this. Have you, ever, have you ever ridden in the car with somebody who's inattentive or reckless or drives too fast? Have you ever done that? What is your natural reaction when you're in a car with somebody who does that? You reach for a handle, don't you, right? You find the fixed point in the car and you're like, I got this, right? I got this. You grab whatever fixed handle you can hold on to because you're looking to anchor yourself to something solid, to something fixed, especially if your spouse is driving. Because the more dramatic you are about grabbing that handle, the more you passive-aggressively communicate to them that you don't like their driving. Right? Amen? You know, I've said that like three times before this, and every time I see spouses look at each other, it's so weird. So weird. I feel like there must be one person in every marriage who does that. It's like, just like something universally true. But that's what we do, right? When people are driving reckless, we reach for something. We reach for something fixed. Can I tell you that that is the function 
of the word of God in our lives when everything else is changing and uncertain? And that's true, but imagine this for a second. Imagine you get into the car with a reckless driver. Maybe it is your spouse. Maybe, you're, maybe your spouse really is reckless. And you're going and, and things get a little hinky and you're, you're, you're looking to reach for something. You go to reach for your, your normal handle that you reach for and then all of a sudden, it's not there. Right? They like saw your passive aggressive attempts and they just filled in the door handles with like plaster or something, right? <laughs> Could you imagine that? You go to reach for the top thing, it's removed, it's not there. There's nothing to hold on to. That would be unsettling, wouldn't it? You'd be like, what's going on here? You reach for the seatbelt, it's not there. You're like, ah! Yet, as funny as that is to think about, many believers are trying to live their lives this way in relation to the word of God in their lives. And everything might be fine when you're going 10 miles an hour on an empty road on a sunny day, but when you're driving down the highway in a Wisconsin winter in whiteout conditions and you've already fishtailed a couple times, that's a whole nother game. It's the same when we hit the valley places of our lives with the word of God. If we claim to put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we have to believe that his words and his promises for us are true. The Bible has to become a basis and a foundation for how we conduct our lives. It has to be an anchor point. I've been reading this book by Jerry Bridges called The Disciplines of Grace. And he says this, if we do not actively seek to come under the influence of God's word, we will come under the influence of sinful society around us. If we do not seek to come under the influence of God's word, we will come under the influence of sinful society around us. That really convicted me and left me asking, how do we do this? How do we come under the influence of God's word in our lives? How does that work? What does that look like to make God's word a huge influence in our lives? Romans 12, 2 says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to get God's word in our minds. And so rejecting the pattern of the world has to do with renewing our minds. Our operations director, Mitch, shared this with us a couple weeks ago. He said this, thoughts lead to words, Words lead to actions, actions lead to habits, habits lead to character, and character leads to destiny. Hmm. I love that. And if you begin to work your way backwards, you want to move from destiny to the beginning of it, where does it all begin? It begins with our thoughts, doesn't it? We have to think biblical thoughts. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you think about what that means when you apply it to the Bible, it means that a few minutes of Bible reading in the morning, or every other morning, or whatever it is, compared to 13 or 14 hours a day of bombardment from the world, it's probably not going to cut it. If we want to be primarily influenced by God's word, we have to strategize and to think about how we're going to put more of God's word into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives. We have to cultivate and prioritize the word of God. And I want you to imagine for a moment what this could look like for you. Because here's the thing. It looks different for everyone else. It looks different for every person. 
Every person has to prioritize the word of God and put it in their lives in different ways. That's okay. It's not this 30 minute at six o'clock in the morning every single day. It could look different for different people. But it might mean this. It might mean that you put the word of God on your calendar and you make it part of your daily routine. To the point where you say, if somebody calls you up and says, hey, I was wondering, will you um, help me with this on this time and this day? And you have the word of God in there, spending time with Jesus, reading his word in there. You say, nope, I have an appointment. Because that's how important it is. It's an appointment, it's an appointment that does got, not get moved. Because I want the word of God in my life influencing me. It might mean that you are a person who says, you know, every time I'm driving to work, I'm going to listen to God's word on the radio or on my phone. It might mean that you dig into it every week or every other week with a life group or another group of believers so that you get it, you start learning it. It begins to saturate your life. It might mean that you set reminders on your phone throughout the day and, you, and it reminds you to meditate and to think about the passages that you read earlier. Do you know that's part of getting God's word in your life? It's not just uh, doing your devotional time. It's actually thinking about the word of God in your life every single day, thinking about how it applies to your life. It could be sharing it with your family each day. It could be writing it on a note card and putting it somewhere you'll notice. It probably means that you'll intentionally memorize parts of God's word. The truth is, it's going to be different for all of us. But we have to strategize the influence of God's word in our lives because this is how we begin to change and we begin to grow. The Holy Spirit uses this discipline and this practice of being in the word to change our minds. As we begin to change our minds, we begin to speak differently. In fact, this is how you know it's working in your life. When you begin to saturate your life with something, whether it's the word of God or something else, and then that comes out in your language later, that's an indication that you are deeply influenced by it because it's moved from thoughts to words. And if you put the word of God in, such your, in, your, in your life in such a way that you begin to speak about it in normal everyday conversation, you can know that the influence of God's word is strong in your life. And as you begin to speak differently, you'll begin to act differently. And what you'll notice is, is if you do these things, you'll build godly habits and your character will change. And ultimately, the whole trajectory of your life will change from being conformed to the pattern of this world to being transformed by the renewing of your mind as you read the truth of God's word in your life. As you study it, as you memorize it, as you think about it again and again, the Holy Spirit will use that to change you. And in an ever-changing and messed up world, when the car is barreling down the highway and you feel like you're out of control, when you reach down, you're gonna want something fixed there. Make sure that the thing that you reach down for in the midst of the valley is the fixed word of God. Because our God is unchanging, we know that we can make his word our firm foundation. It brings us to our third point. Because God is unchanging, his plan for salvation is secure. You know, sometimes when we have an important truth about God, one of the best ways for us to kind of understand it is by thinking about the opposite of it, okay? Let me tell you what I mean about that. Imagine for a moment, we served a God who wasn't unchanging, 
whose words weren't true. It's kind of terrifying to think about. You get to heaven, and God is there, and he goes, oh, yeah, I know, I know I said, I know I said that salvation is through Jesus, but like a couple hundred years ago, I changed that, right? I didn't tell anyone, but now... The only thing you have to do to be saved is just vote for the right political party. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Sorry if you have a, like, really weak gag reflex there. But that would be awful, wouldn't it? That would be awful. Or now the path to salvation, I didn't tell you all, but the path to salvation is now you just have to be a vegan. (laughs) I'm in trouble, all right? Let's just say that. I eat a lot of meat, Okay. Or, as long as you recycle, we're good to go, right? Like, that would be awful. That would be horrific. But you see, our God is not that. Our God is eternal and eternally unchanging, which means that his plan for salvation that he decided before the foundation of the world is the same. Acts 4.12 says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. What is that name? Jesus. Say it. Jesus. Jesus. That's the name by which we must be saved. God planned before the foundation of the world that he would send his son to be a perfect, spotless sacrifice for us on the cross, and that he would conquer sin and death in his resurrection. Salvation is found only in Jesus. He's it. He is the plan. He is the path, the only path to God. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because our God is unchanging, we actually don't have to guess about the the path or the plan for salvation, it is secured in Jesus for all time. Not only that, but if you've put your true faith in in trust in Jesus, and you have salvation in him, it is sealed and it is protected by an eternal God who doesn't change. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says this, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, it's talking about our salvation, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the truth that you need in the valley places of your life. Even if you hit the darkest valley place of your life and you are looking death in the face, nothing can take this great salvation from you. Nothing can rip it away from you because it's secured by an eternal, unchanging God. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, or the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can eternally trust Jesus. And so as we close, I want you to think about an unchanging God. And I want to tell you what this all comes down to. It comes down to this. It comes down to trust. It comes down to belief. It comes down to faith. And it comes down to hope. 
You see, all these words describe the rightful response to an eternal, unchanging God who desperately loves us enough to send his son to die for us. It is so easy for us to lose sight of what this life is all about. We fix our eyes on the wrong things. We think about the wrong things. It's easy to chase the earthly things. It's easy to think about my momentary happiness as the most important thing. It's easy to drown myself in the influences and the ways of the world around me. And this is especially true when I'm in the valley. When you're in the valley, do you often run to things that are not God to try to have ointment for your wounds or your pain or your discomfort? I know sometimes that I do, but as believers, we are called to remember our unchanging God to remember his promises, to remember that his word is true, to remember him and his salvation in his son. I want to close with Psalm 121. It says this, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Does it come from more money? Does it come from a bigger house? Does it come from more uh, relationships destructive relationships. No, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Great is thy faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, not only do we recognize today that you are an unchanging God, that you are immutable, that you are constant, but Lord, we praise you. We praise your holy name because you are the eternal God, self-sufficient, all-powerful, who never changes. And because you don't change, Lord, we know that your promises will never fail us, that we can always proclaim that your promises for us are true. Lord, we praise you that your word will not fail, that in a world that is swirling and disorienting, that we can fix our eyes on your word, that we can make it a firm foundation for our lives, Lord, we praise you that salvation doesn't change, that we don't have to jump through new loopholes all of the time, but our salvation is secured in the person, in the God who is Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would help us to put our faith and our trust totally and completely in you because great is thy faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.